This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Earlier this week, I spoke with Danish politician Margrethe Vestager. She's the European Commission's Commissioner for Competition, and it's not a stretch to say she's one of the most important people in the world when it comes to regulating big tech. One newspaper article described her as putting the fear of God into Silicon Valley. For Americans who aren't familiar with your work, how how would you introduce yourself and say what you do? I'm a member of the European Commission. I'm one of the executive vice presidents. But what it takes a lot of time in my everyday life is to make sure that the European market is open, that it's fair, that everyone who does business here uh, can do their business by the same rule book. Vestager has pursued case after case against the biggest tech companies in the world. She's won fines against Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Qualcomm. Now she's the driving force behind a landmark piece of legislation, the Digital Markets Act, which is likely to reshape how tech companies do business in Europe and around the world. Today on the show, a candid conversation with the woman Silicon Valley fears most. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Margrethe Vestager of the European Commission is coming off a busy few weeks. Her office has opened an investigation into an agreement between Google and Facebook, now Meta, to seemingly kill off ad tech competition. And then, in late March, European lawmakers agreed on the parameters of the Digital Markets Act, or DMA. It's a landmark law that designates companies of a certain size as gatekeepers and says they can't use their heft to box out competition. Companies that run app stores, for example, would have to let their users download apps from other places as well. The Digital Markets Act will make sure that those who have giant market power also have responsibility in the market to make sure that anyone else can do their business without being sort of uh, held back or held down or demoted by those who keep the gate. You know, the parameters of gatekeepers that you've defined, 75 billion euros in market cap, 45 million active monthly users, clearly that is the big five, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Microsoft. But I wonder, are there other companies that you had in mind when you were creating this, or were you really thinking, let's, let's go for the big five here? It may be a number of companies. What we have been trying to do is to translate our knowledge about 
market power? How does a company look that is dominant in the marketplace? And because of that dominance, also have the kind of power that can make it really difficult for anyone else to make it in that marketplace. So I've myself been really, really careful not to think about companies, but to think about market power and how Hmm. to make sure that that market power gets the responsibility that comes with power. I think one could describe the the backlash against big tech in the U.S. as looking at the major players and saying they're too big, break them up. But when I look at the Digital Markets Act, you all seem to be taking a, a different approach. I wonder how you would describe that approach. Well, if it should be as a slogan, you'd say, don't break them up, break them open. In Europe, we do have legislation that would enable us to break up companies if that was the only thing that would make the market work. But we would not know what would happen in the European market by that kind of action. What we would know is that we would definitely end up in court. And while in court, you know, the risk was that the market was left unattended. So we chose to say, well, listen, you're more than welcome to be successful in the European markets, but with success comes power and with power comes responsibility. And that last link between power and responsibility, well, that needs to be reinforced. Well, let's take, you know, the the example of a company like Apple. They present their services safer, that the, the App Store is a walled garden, it's private, it adheres to their security standards. Tim Cook has, has talked about this publicly. Clearly, they see that as a selling point for consumers. Under the Digital Markets Act, they would let users download apps from other places. Do, do you buy their contention that keeping things walled off is safer? Well, I think safety is a, is a concern for everyone, uh, no matter who you are, no matter what kind of phone you have, uh, no matter what kind of apps you, you download. So I think it's important that the question of safety is not used as a wall against healthy competition, where also your competitors mm. will have to answer to their customers about safety. If you're not happy with the shop where you do your shopping, well, you try to find somewhere else to go without having to change the entire city or, or to go, you know, to a different planet. You, you just want to be able to go around the corner and, and see what's on offer there. And of course, you expect also the other store to have sufficient safeguards so that whatever you buy is actually not harming you. There's also this idea of interoperability that I find really interesting that If, say, I use Signal as my messaging platform, that I could send a message to someone on WhatsApp, Um, why make that a a part of this law? It's to to enable convenience for users if that should be part of the character of the services that you're offering. We know it from emails. You know, you can can be in a very different email environment, and yet, uh, you know, I can send an email to you even though you have a, a different provider So it's basically not a new thing. It's just a new thing within messaging services. I want to talk a little bit about the enforcement part of this. Um, How do you see the enforcement piece of the Digital Markets Act working? And I wonder if there are lessons you learned doing so much enforcement. Yeah, well, you know, I've had not one, not two, but three Google cases that we finalized already. Now we're on the fourth. We've had two Amazon cases. We have two again. We have had three Apple cases. We now have a Facebook case as well. And what I have seen is that first, it takes a lot of time to prove that a company is dominant 
in the relevant market. And only then can you look at the illegal behavior. And the second point is that our cases, they work in the very specifics in that market with that illegal behavior. But it is as if they don't spread. It is as if there is something systemic about some of the things that we see. And if something is systemically wrong, well, then you also need a systemic answer to that. And and this is why, you know, I've come to see that for the competition law enforcement in specific cases to be really effective, well, then we need the regulation to work with it. Otherwise, we will not be able to provide the change that is needed. And the change that is needed is for the market really to be open, to be contestable, for other businesses to have a fair chance uh, of making it uh, in that marketplace to the benefit of us as customers. So basically putting the mechanism at the front end instead of at the back end after years of of legal work. Exactly. That was well put. I I will remember that. Well, one aspect of this is obviously fines. But, you know, we have seen the big tech companies just say, OK, fine, we we will pay. You know, Apple just did this um, in the Netherlands. Don't you run the risk of companies saying, like, we'll pay whatever we have to and keep business as usual? Well, I think I think it depends on, on the level of fines still. In, in the Netherlands, they paid a weekly fine of five million euros. I think for most people, quite a lot of money. Obviously not for Apple, since they made that choice. But for the Digital Markets Act, if you do not live up to your obligations, uh, the cap of the fine is 10% of global turnover. Pretty big. And if you're a repeat offender, then the cap is 20% of global turnover. So we're talking about fines that you cannot just sort of push aside as cost of doing business. Why do you think the U.S. lags behind Europe when it comes to enforcement and fines? Well, you know, know, actually, I don't understand it. Take privacy. U.S. is, you know, the prime defender of the rights of the individual, the rights to pursue your dreams, the right to have uh, weapons, uh, you know, individual rights beyond what what you see in many European countries. And yet it's Europe who insists on, on the rights to privacy for the individual. And when it comes to the market, you know, I, I know no one but Americans who say, you know, you can start a business, you can make it. This is the dream. You can challenge everyone out there in that market. So why is it in Europe that we try to make sure that that market is really open and contestable and that people are not being manipulated? So, you know, I have no answer to your question because I would think that it was a, a thing that would fit perfectly with with the U.S. culture and, and the American dream. When we come back, how the January 6th attack inspired European regulators to move quickly. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
Hey everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. The Digital Markets Act is just one half of Margrethe Vestager's regulatory push from the European Commission. It has a counterpart, the Digital Services Act. That piece of legislation is aimed at platforms and social media. The Digital Markets Act opens the market. The Digital Services Act makes it a real thing that what we have decided in our democracy to be illegal when we're offline is also illegal and acted upon when we're online. So platforms would be obliged to take down, for instance, a post that is being flagged to them as, uh, as illegal in form, and then the one who put up the post can complain about it uh, in order to make sure that freedom of expression is preserved. Because sometimes things are not illegal. They may hurt you. They may be gross, but they're not illegal. And that mechanism should enable that. And the second thing that they will be obliged to do is to make sort of a a general risk assessment. Can my services be misused to undermine mm. democracy or be putting people's mental health at risk? Or are they in themselves working in a way that would have these really, really bad effects? For me, that is really important that the two things complement one another, that as a platform, you have a responsibility as to how do my services affect people and the, the society that I'm part of and how does the use of my service in, in all these many, many millions of individual cases live up to what has been decided in our democracy as being illegal? It's very hard to, to listen to you and not think about what we have seen on social media platforms in the U.S., uh, particularly around the sort of insurrection on January 6th in the Capitol. To me, that feels like something that, un under your laws, um, would, would cross the line. Well, I think exactly that attack on Congress uh, also had a huge imprint here in Europe in an old, well-established democracy to have such an attack and for that being so fueled by, by social media and the use of social media. Uh, I think for us, that was sort of a, a wake-up call with no snooze. No time to wait. We need to get things done now uh, in order for, for this not to happen. Undermining democracy, it, it cannot take place. We do not accept it in the real world either. Europe has really been on the forefront of tech regulation. Are you hopeful that your work on the Digital Markets Act um, will, will become global, will be the sort of blueprint for how other governments should conduct themselves? Well, you know, when, when we adopted uh, sort of this general data protection laws, uh, Europe was way ahead of the curve. You know, this idea that you have rights to privacy also in digital, it was a new idea. And, and it's only a few years ago, which is mind blowing. 
And and slowly that has spread uh, to many, many jurisdictions. You know, in India, they have passed privacy legislation. In many states of the United States, they've passed privacy legislation. So that is spreading. With this, uh, the Digital Services Act and Digital Markets Act, Europe is still ahead of the curve, but not at all to the same degree. Uh, for instance, in South Korea, they have passed legislation that came into force 15th of April that looks very much like the provisions and app stores that we have in the Digital Markets Act. A uh, number of, uh, of the proposals uh, tabled in, in the US with bipartisan support would have you know, the same elements as either Digital Services Act or Digital Markets Act. So what I have experienced in, in these years is a lot of parallel thinking sort of converging into alignment as to what needs to be done here. And, and you know that I find really, really encouraging because we don't have a global competition authority. We don't have global data protection authorities. So when we're dealing with global companies, well, then I think alignment will make us so much more uh, effective in making sure that citizens, they can stand their rights. Do you think there should be some sort of global competition authority? I mean, I, I wonder kind of where you draw the line between what regulators should be doing in their own markets and to what degree they should be coordinating, because these companies are, as you say, global. Of course, one is allowed to dream, but if one should be effective right now, uh, you know, the task I have, uh, the mission that that my colleagues and Enforce and, and, and myself that we're on, is to make sure that things change for people in the market right now, so that the market serves us as consumers and not the other way around. In that vein, I noticed you tweeted a picture of yourself uh, with Lena Khan from the FTC, Jonathan Cantor from the Justice Department. A am I wrong to read that as just a kind of a little poke toward the big tech companies? Well, I think it's it's good for the world around us to, to know that we know each other well and we consider each other friends and, and that we talk about, of course, the only thing that we are allowed to talk about, but that we also uh, that we do work together if at all possible. I know we have just a little time left. I wonder if you could tell me what your digital life looks like and, and how it has changed the more enmeshed you become in these issues. Well, I think first and foremost, I, I have become increasingly curious as to, to what is out there, uh, how to do my shopping without using a, a giant platform, how to message my friends, because actually sometimes I find that sort of the convenience uh, of the giants is kind of numbing my curiosity. And, and it's curiosity that keeps me learning, keeps me interested, keeps me challenged. I'm not an engineer. I'm not tech savvy uh, as such. But, um, but I think curiosity can, can actually take you to some very interesting places. Magressa Vestayer, thank you so much for your time. It was my pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. Magressa Vestayer is the Executive Vice President of the European Commission for a Europe Fit for the Digital Age. That is it for the show today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. We're edited by Tori Bosch. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and it's also part of Future Tense, a partnership with Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. What Next? We'll be back next week. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C., on Tuesday, May the 14th, my colleague Mark Joseph Stern and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.